Bet365 sponsors our podcast and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sports. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello, welcome to the Unseen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we bring you exclusive insight and stories from our team of writers. I'm Mark Chapman. David is back from his holiday, although if you follow him on social media, you will know it wasn't that much of a holiday because you still kept tweeting, didn't you? It wasn't my fault that in the one time I picked to go away, you've got stories like Lionel Messi possibly leaving Barcelona breaking, Harry Maguire being arrested on a holiday resort, um, Donny van der Beek joining Manchester United. And so... (laughs) I couldn't put the phone away. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, you've also done an interview, an exclusive interview with Hector Bellerin, which we'll hear a little bit later on as well. Yeah, I have. He really is breaking exclusive news rather than us about something very close to his heart, the environment and football. And it's an investment that he's taking out in Forest Green Rovers. I'm, I'm not giving away a secret because by listening to this podcast, you'll probably known that news by now. But he explains that and he explains his thoughts on the environment, the role footballers are playing in getting involved in issues such as sustainability, climate change and various other things and he'll reference that with Marcus Rashford. It really is a a powerful interview, fascinating. We'll talk to George Culkin on Newcastle and Roshane Thomas on West Ham. We'll also talk to our Spanish writer Dermot Corrigan on Lionel Messi and he'll explain why he's staying there and also what might happen next. Right now, The Athletic is free for 30 days, bringing you the very best football writing around. All you've got to do is go to theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman, theathletic.com slash Ornstein and Chapman. Sign up and you'll get The Athletic free for 30 days. Uh, Well, let's talk Newcastle United now on the pod. And as The Athletic reported on Saturday, Steve Bruce has pushed for a shift in approach in terms of transfers. It looks like owner Mike Ashley has listened. It has just been announced as we record this that Callum Wilson has signed for £20 million. Uh, The Athletic senior writer is George Culkin. He joins us now. Let's just revisit the shift in approach, first of all, if people haven't seen that article, and then we'll move into what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating the way it was put to me from Steve Bruce that his policy this summer has been no risk. As ever with Newcastle, there was so much context and there's so many, you know, sorts of circumstances that you have to deal with. There's the things that everybody is facing in the Premier League this season, which is that it's going to be a hectic fixture list, less time, same number of games, less time. Injury is obviously going to be a sort of huge jeopardy and all the rest of it, plus the circumstances that are kind of particular to Newcastle, which is this summer of failed takeover. The fact that last season they were 
they they got away with it to a large extent. They didn't have a they didn't have a centre forward worth the name, uh, in spite of spe- spending a lot of money on uh, Jalinton last summer. And Bruce has just pushed that in the light of all that, that the one thing that they can't do is make another mistake like Jalinton. The one thing they can't do is invest in youth in the hope that somewhere down the line it pays off. You know that it's it's too important, and the circumstances are just so uncertain that they have to go for it and yeah the the amazing thing is is that the club in whatever guise has appears to have listened as as things stand and he is going for people and has gone for people who you know certainly theoretically at, at least will be able to go straight into the team improve it and not need time to acclimatize it's either been there and done that as regards the players that are coming in or been there and will definitely do that if you look at their potential. Yeah, and it's just is not the Mike Ashley way. It is just not the way. I'm kind of searching back in my own head to sort of think about the last time they, you know, they bought a player for this amount of money, 20 million quid, who's 28. You know, they've had this policy for a very long time now that it's players under that age with a potential sell-on value. They've done that, but they've often done it at the expense of team building. And it's not that they haven't seen or found good players because they've done that over the years. People kind of tend to forget that Sissoko and Wijnaldum were in the team that got relegated uh, last time. But it wasn't. It was a. It was an awful team. You know, they had some good players, but it was an awful team. And Bruce has pushed very strongly for the tried and trusted, or for people who just know the Premier League. If it's Jamal Lewis at Norwich, the left back, he's, uh, you know, he's still very very young, but. It's a big shift in policy. Now we don't know. We don't know why Mike Ashley has done this. Whether that's because he's protecting his investment. We do know that he's still desperate to get out of the club uh, and to sell. And perhaps he sees this as the best way of protecting his his investment. Or if it's you know, or or if it's a sign of something else. But I do know that Steve Bruce has had to fight very, very, very hard to win this argument. But but he certainly looks like he's done it. George, it's really interesting to see uh, Steve Bruce given this sort of authority. We we knew in the past that Graham Carr was highly influential in that sort of decision-making process. It seems now really that it's Bruce, Lee Charnley supporting him, obviously from executive level and, and then Ashley above him. I, I don't know if you can tell us any more about anybody else involved, but also uh, we continue to hear sort of uh, speculation over a takeover, even if it's not the same group as previously and and reports that they might look to bring in a new manager like Maurizio Pochettino with all of which is quite interesting given that there's so much backing for Bruce in in this transfer market yeah I mean to get to the to, to the sort of the first point Graham Carr was far more than a chief scout he it was you know put to me at the time that you know the manager was the manager he'll come and go but really it was the chief scout who was sort of setting the tone for the club in terms of recruitment he's obviously gone now they do have another Chief Scout Steve Nixon, who's also been pretty influential, but you know, Jalinton is one of his biggest legacies. A player that Rafa Benitez rejected in the months before he left, thinking that he probably wasn't worth half the fee that they eventually paid for him. And so, I don't know whether he's taken a step back. They have a very, very convoluted process, and this again goes back to the Benitez era and before, where he railed against the time it took for them to actually get players over the line, that they could identify people, that they could sort of do the framework of deals, they could have everything in place. And when the time came to press the button, Lee Charnley would prevaricate, 
he would have to go to Justin Barnes, who's Ashley's kind of lieutenant fixer, who doesn't have a official role at the club, but is incredibly influential. And then sometimes they'd have to go to Ashley himself. And so deals would get snarled up. Other clubs would come along and take those players and Newcastle would be kind of, uh, you know, left trailing in their wake. And so things things have definitely shifted we don't know we don't necessarily know the reason for it because mike ashley never never speaks and the club never speak in terms of the rest of it i mean i've discounted all of the quote unquote takeover attempts i mean the, bizarrely in these circumstances there are always never never wases or tire kickers and all you know those phrases that we hear a lot and you know there's just been a plethora of those around Newcastle I don't see anybody else being in the running aside from the majority Saudi fronted Amanda Staveley consortium we know that they've withdrawn but at the same time they've all reaffirmed their commitment to the takeover as indeed has Ashley through a statement from from Lee Charnley and there's obviously stuff going on in the background after that kind of extraordinary and really very welcome outpouring of emotion and communication from Newcastle fans trying to get answers from the Premier League, pushing for politicians to to say stuff and to, to make contact. But I, I also think that that should stay behind the scenes or until there's a resolution, either positive or negative, because I think one of the things that's been really corrosive to this whole process is the fact it's been so public. Uh, you've exclusively revealed, David, as well, Callum Wilson will get the number nine shirt, just to turn this back to Joel Linton. When I was looking into this story, um, it seems that Callum Wilson and Newcastle has been coming for a little bit of time under the surface and behind the scenes because one of the first people that got in touch with Callum Wilson when he did one of his knee injuries was, I'm told, Alan Shearer, who'd obviously been in a similar position himself and that they've remained in touch. And also then the Jamal Lewis pursuit and, and proper money going behind that as well, possibly Rob Holding as well. It really does seem that, I don't know, that they're, they're, they're stepping on the gas here in Newcastle in a way that you might not have expected at the best of times, let alone in a pandemic and in a way that other clubs aren't. If they get uh, Wilson and Lewis, you're talking, I suppose, the thick end of 35 million quid. And Jalinton, who they spent £40 million on, scored two league goals from 38 appearances. And Steve Bruce admitted at one point in the season that he wasn't a natural goal scorer. And you look at you you look at his stats you know you look beyond just the evidence of your eyes which suggests he's not getting into the right areas and it shows it he doesn't have that instinct to score goals to get into the right places to score goals so they had to take remedial action i think taking the number 9 shirt off him makes perfect sense he's not he is not that player and you know although we can get misty eyed about about the worth of that number, it does seem to sit very heavy on him. I think the reason why people are surprised is that there was the huge spike and then crash of the takeover that didn't happen, and people thought everything would revert to type and that Newcastle would get relegated, and at least this activity shows that there's a bit of life there still. Fraser and Lewis, and then maybe a couple on loan? Fraser, as we record on Monday, uh, and moving very much in the right direction. Lewis, that will get done for a fee in the region of 15 million plus add-ons. That was agreed late on Sunday, total agreement reached. There were some conversations prior to that. The Rob Holding one was on course to be done on the day of the Community Shield or or soon after. And I think Arsenal just delaying their final decision on that as they assess their centre-back options. And I also know that... All all ten 
of them. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Embarrassment of, should I say riches well, or not? I'm not and, sure. And I'm that's, in trouble. that's the other funny thing. Newcastle have six and a half at the moment. Or, so the, 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 <laughs> before anybody else comes in. And so they will have to, you know, they will have to sw- move people yeah. around. I mean, I know Fabian Schaar's injured at the minute. And Steve Bruce isn't sort of the biggest, his biggest fan. Florian Lejeune, who's arguably the club's best player in that position, but has been kind of ravaged by injury and may not be the same player. Question marks about him. So, but, you know, at some point Newcastle will have to shift people out as well. Yeah, and I hear these players are being offered very good money, very attractive uh, deals to come to Newcastle and also that they've been told during the negotiations of other players that the club are looking to bring in I think one of them's a fullback his name escapes me uh, from overseas so um, certainly a busy time I don't know if George knows any more on timings and and things like that but it's certainly developing at a pace this week well and we're at that point now aren't we I mean so Steve, I know Steve wanted those players in by now, and they're going to have very, very limited time with them before they before they play their first game uh, this this weekend. But at least, at least, fingers crossed, they'll they'll be there. That's great, George. We will leave that there. Thank you. And I'll just point out that lots of what George talked about is in two brilliant pieces on the Athletic. Now, give a read of both of them. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast is brought to you by Packed Coffee. It's a company that offers coffee without compromise, which means they source only the best beans and they pay their farmers over fair trade rates and they always get their coffee to your door, freshly roasted, no excuses. Packed Coffee allows you to choose exactly how you want your coffee and when it's delivered to you. It's not your typical subscription that comes on the first of every month. You can get coffee whenever you want and you can pause, cancel or change your plan anytime online. Packed doesn't sacrifice quality for the sake of profit. Their coffee is roasted fresh for your order and ground just moments before it's shipped. I know this, by the way, David, because I've been sent some. And look, that's right. So that's my bag next to me. And on it, it, it tells me that it was it was roasted on the 3rd of September, packed on the 4th of September, and it arrived on the 5th of September. No, it arrived on the 4th of September as well. So they have wow. all the details on it. And I have to say, as well as uh, saying thank you to Pact for sending me the coffee, uh, it tells me who it was grown by. So thank you. Not that I imagine Sergio's listening, <laughs> but thank you, Sergio Manto, Manto Vanini for growing uh, my coffee. It's very nice, actually. And uh, I was going to, do you know what I was going to say? It has a uh, it has a hint of chocolate malt about it. But I, uh, the reason I know that is because it says it on the label to give me the, the <laughs> taste of the kind of hint of the flavour. But it was very, very nice. And you there must you cherish it to bring it on air with you. Like, it, I can hear you patting it like well, a, yeah. a friend I mean, of yours. I'll be honest with you. I'm not carrying it around the house, cuddling it. But I thought, <laughs> as, I, as I was reading the, uh, the blurb about it, I thought I would have it here, having had my coffee slightly earlier today, and just uh, give it a, a big up. Back to what Packed do. They provide free and fast delivery. There are no hidden postage charges. If you order before 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Monday to Friday, you'll get your order the very next day. Uh, we really want you to try it. It's delicious. Uh, we'll give you a discount code for you to get your first bag, which means it should be from just pound ninety-five. So go to packedcoffee.com. Packed, P-A-C-T, coffee.com. Packedcoffee.com. You can create your flexible coffee plan. Enter the code KICKOFF at checkout, and our code is valid when you create a packed coffee plan for new customers 
only. Well, let's switch to Newcastle's opponents on the opening weekend, West Ham, because Funs and Fury is the headline on the Athletic article by Roshane Thomas in the wake of them selling Grady D and Garner to West Brom. Uh, Roshane with us now. And you understand it, don't you, that the anger that has been coming from West Ham fans over their sale of Dean Garner is there in the dressing room as well. I mean, we saw it with Mark Noble's tweet, of course. 100%, guys. You know, Mark Noble's tweet, he said he was gutted, angry and sad that Dean Garner has left the club. And I thought it was interesting that Sebastian Nelaire, Declan Rice and Alfred Masuaki yeah. also liked. And for me, I think it's a good thing the tweet is still there. Because yeah. you know sometimes we, you know sometimes we see sometimes tweet gets deleted after like five minutes. So I think it's brilliant that like the, the tweet's still there. West Ham's hierarchy. We want stuff to be unimpressed of Noble's tweet. You know, if you read between the lines on some of these reports, I don't. David Moyes is reportedly not happy at it either. Well, across the board, a club wouldn't like to see that sort of thing come out because they're so conscious of their PR their public image and everything, everybody singing from the same hymn sheet and it all being rosy in the garden. We, we know behind the scenes at many of these clubs, that's not the case. Uh, they just don't like anybody to know about it. And when it comes out, they don't like it, if it's from the media especially. But goodness me, for it to come out from their own players is certainly going off message. In the, the specific case of West Ham, it's my understanding that there was dismay from the very top of the club at that tweet. They were angry and shocked by it. But on the flip side, and you know, West Ham have tried to explain that they're quite bloated in the area of the pitch that he was and they need money to invest in other areas and some I'm playing devil's advocate here, might perceive it as I'm being... Not a, I'm not a West Ham fan, you're making me angry, so go on. Decent money for somebody that's not played in the Premier League yet. Is there any credence to that side of the argument? I guess it will depend on what yeah. happens in the transfer market thereafter, and if they do fill those, fill those gaps, they need to. There's no denying it's bitterly disappointing for yeah. fans to see that talent yeah. leave. I mean, I, I get that, but the thing is, Diangano was on the contract. He had five years left. So if you're going to sell a player, it's not one of the best young players at the club. You try and, yeah. although it's been difficult, you try and get rid of the likes of Yarmolenko, Frank yeah. Anderson, Lanzini. You're not one of the best young players who everyone's looking forward to seeing. You know, sometimes when a player comes back from loan or long-term injury, a manager goes, that player is like a new signing. I thought this season that definitely would have applied for Diangano. And it's such a shame. Obviously, I know West Ham have a lot of wingers. The club will be like, oh, you could have been behind the pecking order of Antonio, Bowen, Yabalenko, Fornals, and so on and so forth. But this guy was the real deal. He is the real deal. I'm not talking in past tense. He is the real deal. So They just look like they don't know what they're doing, don't they? I mean, that, as you say, Rochelle, the, the whole point is you send a young player out on loan and, and by the way, he went to a club who got promoted from the championship. So he does the business for the club that he went to. He improves. The benefit of the loan spell is there for everyone to see. It, it, as you say, he's got five years left on his contract. They've got this abundance of players in his position, none of whom, none of whom you could argue have really ever consistently delivered for West Ham. Flog, flog two of them. And keep keep one one of your own, as all fans like, keep one of your own who will get fans whenever they're back in the stadium off their seat. And you know what? I'm going to mention that pre-season game against Ipswich because Diagana applied, applied, provided two assists for Sebastian Allaire. And the thing is, right, one of the reasons why Allaire struggled last season was because he didn't really have that service. Although you could have, like, 
been a bit more of a bully in terms of his role as a lone striker. He didn't have much service and he performed. It was really encouraging. He performed a good partnership with Diogana in that game. And after the match, Diogana spoke about, you know, looking forward to being a West Ham player. And he also spoke about, like, providing cover for Cresswell on the defensive end. I mean, what young player talks about looking forward to providing cover on the defensive end? So stuff like that was going to work in West Ham's favour this season and now it's just back to square one, really. It doesn't half put the pressure on West Ham to make whatever signings they do end up making absolutely correct, filling the right gaps. And one of the players that we've seen reported is James Tarkovsky from Burnley. I've heard that um, the Ukraine and Shakhtar centre-half uh Mikola Matvienko has had an offer of some description from West Ham, so that's clearly a key area. And you only need to look at some of the goals they conceded against Bournemouth to see that defence is in desperate need of strengthening. And in terms of Tarkovsky, obviously, as you mentioned, he's been a second bid worth up to £27 million. He's a defender that moves track since 2013. And, you know, Angelo Ogbon and Nessie Diop performed a good defensive partnership, but what Tarkovsky will certainly be an upgrade. Within the industry, I hear constant talk that consortiums are interested in West Ham and that the current owners will sell at the right price and then you hear counter briefings they're not interested in selling etc how long do you think they'll put up with this before looking to get out because it just seems constant negativity around them and is it really worth it well on paper it's not worth it but you you sort of have to think they sort of love (laughs) the attention they receive because any person would have been like, you know what, enough is enough. Like, look, for example, for the 10-year anniversary, myself and Oliver Kay wrote a piece on the 10-year anniversary and fans were like, get them out. We want them out. We don't like them. They've been garbage. Taking us from Upton Park to London Stadium and it's just been terrible. Again, I know this is off topic, but, you know, for one match, I was like hungry and I thought, let me just get a hot dog. It should cost like five or six pounds. The hot dogs cost 10 pounds. 10 pounds for a hot dog. So fans are dealing with that as well at the London Stadium. So there's one name I'm going to mention who's worth looking out for the next couple of years. And he's got a 10% stake at the club and his name's Albert Smith, also known as Chip Smith. He knows a lot of rich people. So if they were to sell, he's one guy could potentially be, uh, you know, lined up for an offer. Rashane, thank you very much, as well as writing about West Ham for The Athletic. Rashane also co-hosts the podcast. Uh, you Irons, we will talk soon. Thank you. Much appreciated, guys. Thanks, mate. Harry's sponsors the Ornstein and Chapman podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five blade brands. I can vouch for that. And with football coming back, if you're anything like me and could do with sharpening up your appearance, give them a go. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close and comfortable shave. As a listener of the Ornstein and Chapman podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash Ornstein right now. That's harrys.com forward slash Ornstein. Ten days after Lionel Messi asked to leave Barcelona on Friday, he reversed his position, saying, of course, that he is to stay. Uh, David was too busy sunning himself to be across this story. That's right, isn't it? There was no sun in London, Mark. All right. <laughs> no, because that <laughs> sun always shines up north, never down south. Uh, uh, so let's talk to our Spanish football writer, Dermot Corrigan, who's written an article on The Athletic that explains what it means for Messi, Barcelona and Manchester City. First of all, in all of your experience of football journalism, has this, has this been a, 
an enjoyable story to cover. Enjoyable, I'm not sure. There was there's so many different elements to it. It was kind of professionally very interesting. It was also kind of a sad story in a, in a way to cover an unfortunate story just because of all the, the different parts. Um, and it, it looked like this was going to be the end for, for Messi at Barcelona. Having followed him for you know about 10 years now, I've seen him so often uh, doing su- such amazing things. And um, for, for it to end up in, in this type of a situation was was a little bit unfortunate. It was, it was super interesting, you know, got to go to Barcelona's, maybe we'll, we'll talk about uh, and speak to a lot of people about it. And Barcelona's a very interesting club because um, much more than Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid, you get to talk to people around and people are willing to, to, to give you some information about what's going on. So from that point of view, it was super interesting. But it was a little bit sad just to see, you know, such a such great club and such a great player in such an awkward situation. That's a really interesting line that I haven't necessarily heard in many places, that it's easier to get information out of Barcelona and people are more willing to talk than certain other Spanish clubs. Mm. Why, why is that? It's to do a lot with the history of the club and also just how they run. Because at Real Madrid, you have Florentino Perez, who runs a very tight ship. Um, you, you never hear of you know directors who have a, a public falling out with, with Florentino and then resign and then maybe build a, a power base outside the club. Whereas at Barcelona, that tends to happen quite regularly, you know, going back over, over the decades where there's been you know internal rows and, and problems where you've ended up with with people outside the club who are, you know, willing to talk to the media because, you know, there's a political kind of campaign going on to try to, to unseat the president, whereas at Madrid and Atletico as well, whereas Atletico, they don't have elections, but it's also very tightly run by by uh, Cerezo and Hilmarin, who have been in charge there for a long time. So Barca is more interesting from that point of view, just in that there's there's more, it's more lively democracy. You know, some of the people I talk to about it who will be critical of the, the president say that that is, you know, a great thing about Barcelona is that there are, you can have um, differences of opinion and you can have competing groups and, and you know, they, they come together or they they battle in the for the court of public opinion to try to, to control what happens at the club. And that in itself is, is not a bad thing. Dermot, seeing Cristiano leave La Liga and potentially would have been Messi following suit with even younger up-and-coming stars like Ferran Torres departing as well, what sort of an impact would that have had on the league? Is it a more reliant league on big names than say the Premier League yeah I think it would have had a quite a, a severe impact because I remember when the you know Spanish teams haven't done well in the Champions League the last couple of years and when they all went out um, in quite quickly when, when the Champions League came back in August there was a good bit of, of soul searching here amongst the pundits and and within the clubs as well, just about how maybe they were they were falling behind a bit, and they don't have the same money as the Premier League. They thought going back over the years that that they were maybe doing things a bit smarter than than they were doing it in England. That they had better youth systems. That that football here was better set up, could compete even without having so much money. But there has been a drain of players, and if Messi had gone as well, it would have been been a lot more difficult, you know, sponsorship-wise, TV viewers-wise, all of those things would have been affected for sure. Do all eyes now turn to January, really, when presumably overseas clubs could start negotiating with Lionel Messi? Yeah, like for sure in his, his interview that, that he gave on FridayWithGoal.com, he was very clear that it wasn't that he had you know changed his mind and suddenly had decided that he, he loved Barcelona and he wanted to stay and he was committing himself to, to Barcelona for the, the medium term. His message was that I really wanted to leave. I'd still like to leave, but I just can't. You know, In, in order to leave, I would have to go to court, would have to force things, and I don't want to do that. But he wasn't saying I'm happy to stay. He was kind of saying that it's the, the least worst option was to stay or he was staying under duress. 
so yeah, his you know January first, he'll have six months left on his contract, and he will be able to, to speak to anybody. Because the timings are crucial there, because the presidential elections aren't until March, are they? So, what? And and all the indications are that Bartomeu doesn't become president of Barcelona again. But by that time, it may be too late. Bartomeu can't run again, but they will be trying to, or the current board will be trying to patch things up as best they can in order to run a, a continuity candidate or somebody who would continue on their their policies and, and maybe also you know not come in and then start to criticise the people who were there before and, and turn over stones and, and start to look at what was going on from before. But Messi doesn't want that to happen. Messi is obviously not a fan of, of the current president. He made that very clear as well, that he felt personally let down by or the promises had been broken to him. So yeah, the, the longer the... If the regime still looks quite similar to how it does now, whether Bartomeu is president or not, you would imagine Messi, um, you know, it will be unlikely for him to change his mind, I think we can say. Is he going to have that much influence at his age and this stage of his career on that election process? Or is it more likely that we will see continuity? And in that case, a kind of second question, do you see him leaving next summer for free? And as a third pronged point, if you don't mind, is that sort of not Manchester City's chance missed, but they were presumably in a stronger position now because they could pay some kind of high fee if he's available on a free transfer to the likes of Inter, PSG and others have a much stronger shout at getting him than they would have this summer. Like Messi has never come out and backed any any other candidate. You know, he doesn't get involved in the, the, the politics I was talking about before, you know, aligning himself with potential future candidates unlike Xavi who you know has has been quite close to Victor Font who, who is quite possibly or will be a leading contender to to win the elections whenever they do happen it is more likely though that, that from what Messi has said that the it's a bit like maybe the Republicans and the Democrats in America or that people had already made up their minds a lot on you know if they were pro Bartomeu or, or pro Messi or against them so no matter what Messi will have said, you know, it maybe just confirmed what some people thought on both sides. But, it, you know, it didn't make it any easier for Bartomeu or, or anybody from his camp to, to continue and win the elections. And, and yeah, on the, on the third point, you know, things did seem to be well set up for Man City, I guess, because um, of the connection there with Guardiola and also with other you know, former Barcelona people who, who know Messi and know his father, who are now well settled at, at Man City and have the, the contacts. Now it's more open again, and whether you're PSG or or whoever it is, you now have six months to, to go to work and to, to try to, to make the context, to, to make an offer, to, to build a, a case for why Messi should, should move to your club. And by the time January comes around, Messi could well be playing with half the Dutch national team at <laughs> Barcelona, could he? If I follow your tweet from earlier... Well, the I went down a little bit on a limb in that tweet. I think got, got a, a couple of reaction from some Liverpool fans, but it, it has been the case that that Kuman or the 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 stories that that we believe is that Kuman is looking to to bring in a couple of players who he knows really well from the Dutch national team who have done well for him and who would fill some some gaps in the Barca team in Wijnaldum, who who could be you know maybe available at Liverpool and also Memphis Depay, who's into his last year of his contract at Lyon, and they seem to be willing to do business. How much money Barca have is another thing. What I mentioned was Van Dijk, because you know, going out, as I say, a bit on a limb, is that you know, of the players in the Dutch national team, he would be the one who Barca would make a huge difference to the Barca team. If you put him in alongside Piquet at the back, it could make it a tremendous. We saw the impact that he had when he joined Liverpool. Maybe he could do something similar at Barcelona. You know, again, Liverpool obviously wouldn't want to sell, and Barca don't have great money, so it seems unlikely. But they have a good relationship, Van Dijk and Koeman. Just I'm, I'm doing a 
piece on Kuman for The Athletic this week, just looking at and um, speaking to people around him and from his past. And he had a very good relationship with a lot of the, the Dutch national team, maybe at some of his clubs, Everton, Southampton, even at Valencia. Um, going back over his career, you know, he, he maybe didn't get on with everybody at, at those clubs, but within the Dutch national team, he had a good relationship. Van Dijk, you know, sent a, a tweet out when he, he left, you know, um, Coleman was leaving the national team a little bit in, a, in an awkward situation to jump ship and move to a club but Van Dijk sent a very nice supportive tweet which wasn't exactly a come and get me plea um, but <laughs> <laughs> right let, let's, let's, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this down now and this stays in the podcast right if anybody puts this out on social media with the current All Seen and Chapman podcast Van Dijk's come and get me plea to Barcelona <laughs> do not do not tag me on any any social media that goes out. Right, David. Put it straight on Dermot's yeah. shoulders. Um, I just wanted to ask, you know, Bartomeu seems to have saved a little bit of face, depending on what way you look at it, by not being the man who, who let Messi leave Barcelona. But it therefore doesn't bring in the sort of money that a sale, especially a big sale, would have done to help solve their financial crisis. So how, with Messi staying and potentially leaving on a free transfer, do Barcelona solve their financial um, disaster, as, as some have described it? Yeah, that's the huge question that, that we still don't know because from the people who, who I've been speaking to, a lot of them assumed that um, this is both people who've worked inside the club you know, at quite high levels and also outside that, uh, in a way, Messi going was at this point for if it was going to be, you know, 200 million or, or whatever it was instead of free next year, w- w- was going to be a real help for, for Barcelona. Now, they're, they're not going to have that. So they are looking to move players on at the minute. They don't want to sell um, any of their younger players or the guys who, who they want to try and build around. But they still have those huge financial problems. And, you know, we have another month or so of the window to go. And um, we're all still kind of processing or we have been over the last couple of weeks you know so on top of the messy story and processing what it would mean and everything and there's a lot of relief amongst Barca fans that he is going to stay but yeah as you say it doesn't fix the, the problems that they have and they still need to try to deal with them uh, Dermot thank you I, I'm, I'm definitely sure we will speak a lot between <laughs> now and January Thanks, Dermot. Okay, cool. Cheers, guys. Enjoy it. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping right now by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. So a treat now for all of you who listen to tune in to hear David wang on about Arsenal and have missed him for the last couple of weeks because I, I got a chance to dictate editorial policy <laughs> for once and therefore we left Arsenal well alone. Um, however, this this is really good, actually, because you've been talking to Hector Bellerin. Well, it's really good, but it's really important. And um, Hector Bellerin has spoken a lot about the environment in the past. Uh, he's done a lot of work himself. One Tree Planted made a lot of publicity. People took it in quite 
quite a light-hearted way. He was, you know, planting trees for every win Arsenal uh, achieved towards the end of the season. Various other projects over the years, and it's very uh, well documented that he uh, is vegan. Has a lot of interests around sustainability. Uh, deforestation etc etc he runs his own podcast Uh, he references that in the interview that we did in which he talks to like-minded people now he's embarking upon perhaps the biggest thing yet in an investment in forest green rovers you know we've spoken so much about footballers getting involved in things during the lockdown we spoke to Duncan Watmore didn't we on this podcast Mm -hmm. about his involvement in common goal and heard of all the contributions through players together and various other schemes and this is a very serious issue for the here and now here he is then Hector Bellerin with David Hector, thanks very much for joining us on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. It's usually the journalists who are giving the exclusive news, but today you're going to grace us with some of your own. So it's been kept such a top secret that I actually don't know that much about it. So why don't you take it away? I'm announcing that uh, I'm becoming a shareholder for Forest Green Rovers. This is something that, um, you know, it's been in the works for for quite a long time now. And, um, you know, as as many people know, Forest Green Rovers are a team that are known for like the eco procedures and like uh, principles that Dale has uh, implied in the team since he was there like 10 years ago. He's revolutionized that football club and now they're a team that they're vegan, they're eco-friendly, they have a neutral carbon footprint. So, um, you know, they're a clear example of like how to run a football club. In our times, I wanted to be a part of it. Uh, I wanted to offer my help to them in whichever way I could. And I'm very excited to to bring the news. What exactly will your investment involve? Bringing awareness to that, what they're doing and, um, you know, helping with PR, marketing and like put them also helping like create a network also with like people at One Tree Planted, for example, with they've been in contact already with like Forest Green Rovers to like possibly be able to evolve in like, you know, the planting trees that we were doing through the whole of last season for every win. So, you know, trying to do something similar. I want them to do really well. I want them, they're a massive example and now they're in League Two. So imagine like when they get to championship or something like this, how people can get onto this. Like, you know, it's not a team in League Two anymore. Like this is a a team playing in the top league and um, the best way to do these things is to lead by example, you know. You can always tell people, oh, you should do this, you should do that. But when you see like, uh, an entity like them that they're getting bigger and bigger every day and they're able to do what they do with a neutral carbon footprint and like you know the players are vegan and, and they're soaring in terms of like um the physicality of the game and stuff it just shows that it can be done in a many in in a different way so is it a percentage that you take out in the club and also did you have to get permission from the relevant governing bodies to do that as you're a current professional player yourself yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, it's very little and, um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't affect us, like, no conflict of interest. And uh, obviously we had to go through a lot of, like, paperwork and stuff uh, to make sure. But I know that there's other players, um, you know, uh, in the Premier League and other leagues that are doing the same, where there is help in, like, the, the clubs from back home, etc., etc. I would urge anyone to go and have a read or a watch of Forest Green Rovers because there's so much on the internet. I think they've got supporters clubs all over the world and they've made a lot of publicity for what they've done. They've got plans for a new stadium made all of wood. They've been named the greenest club in the world. They're the first UN certified carbon neutral football club. Vegan football pitch, the food, etc. It all fits in with your values and ethos that you've talked about so much in the past. Will you actually get involved in the running of the club now in the future or is it more sort of ambassadorial contribute, bit of finance, bit of PR? It's more the latter right now. I mean, obviously, you never know how it's going to be in the future but um, I just felt like it was 
it was the right thing to even like start our relationship and our partnership right now. And, um, you know, even like hopefully like bring ideas that they're doing to, to Arsenal, for example. You know, you and I have spoken in the past about the environment. And yeah. I mean, I've been listening to the podcast and it really? shows from speaking to the likes of Matthew Flamini and, and various other professionals around the world that you're not alone in this campaign. Do you feel that you're making a difference? The One Tree Planted has gained great publicity, uh, various other projects around plastics. It's actually fascinating hearing you and your fellow professionals talk about just small things like uh, the type of food you're eating, doing your washing up by hand rather than using dishwashers and stuff like that. It's baby steps, isn't it, Hector? But it is something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, why I started the podcast, it, it was because I used to get a lot of stick for the stuff that I was doing off the pitch, right? But there was a lot of people that they were really doing really, really cool stuff off it. But I felt like, well, that was, I don't know, maybe because uh, at the clubs, they didn't have the publicity that I, for example, have at Arsenal. I just wanted to like give them a voice, you know, and to show that you know, first of all, we, we're humans, you know, we have, we have a passion in football, but we have many other passions outside and there's a lot of people that go for them. There's a lot of people that don't, but, um, you know, I just wanted to give them a voice and be able to chat about all these things that football fans really don't see in the process. If we can make a change or like, you know, for even younger players that like football, but maybe they like playing an instrument as well, you know, like you can do both things as long as you put the effort and you put the passion into both then it's fine. I always said that for me, doing my stuff off the pitch is something that recharges me and helps me play. And, um, you know, you always hear about all these athletes that are so obsessive about the game, like Michael Jordan and all this stuff, you know? And I was, th and I was thinking like, am I the only football player that feels like this? And it was um, great to see that actually, like for many, many people, this is like what happens, you know? Same as like you guys probably when you get home, like you don't want to be sitting there like just like writing again or like when you have your spare <laughs> maybe maybe you want to do other things you know that happens with every single human being in like whatever job that they're doing so it was great to give perspective to other people about also like how we feel when we go through all these things and as you said like what we eat our lifestyles etc and just broaden the picture of like the football player that we're not just the the goals and the cars and the, and the houses you know there's there's so many other things that around us that i think is important to to put on the table as well. It can be conflicting though, can't it? One of the things you've spoken about on the podcast is flying. And yeah. it must've been a bit of a dilemma for you when Arsenal played the Europa League final in Baku. It was basically the other side of the world. You weren't even playing because of your injury, but you went along too. The trip was going on, whether it was with or without you. Yeah. I just thought to myself, that's one example that it's not easy to get the balance right. You've yeah. got to still do your profession and you wouldn't have had this platform if it wasn't for football. So That's clearly the message. That's what I always say to people. Like The way the world is built nowadays there's going to be many times that you're going to have to compromise. You know, it's very, it's very, very hard to, to live like a, a neutral carbon footprint life as it is today. You can be more conscious in all the choices that you make, but um, sometimes it's not just about the choices that we make, but also what we have available. Imagine if we had to go to, to, go to Baku by train and probably take us like three days and you cannot train in that process. And then you get there, you have to play like a Europa League final. Like it doesn't make sense. We don't have the resources nowadays. And it is a, dile a dilemma, but I think a lot of the times we blame, we blame society, we blame ourselves and the fact that, oh, we're not doing the right thing, you know, we, but they're not giving us another choice, <laughs> you know? So also like we need to have that compassion and not just push society to do better, but actually push these big industries as well to like actually help us give us another choice for us to make 
rather than just what it is um, over the counter right now. I was watching a, a video, an incredible video that our team at TIFO did about mm. climate change. And yeah. they say that by 2050, 23 of the 92 league clubs in England can expect partial or total annual flooding of their stadiums because of the extreme weather events owing to climate change. This isn't a laughing matter. This is very real. We're seeing it on a daily basis. We can easily just pass the buck to the future generations, but that's not going to wash. Like There are serious concerns. You told me when we spoke last time that we should be scared by this. Do you think things are getting better or or are your concerns getting even worse? Well, first of all, I, I, I watched that video and I thought it was amazing, like the perspective that it, that it gives to like how it affects our game because, you know, I feel like politicians they always put like this deadline of like 2050 or 20, like, you know, this is in 30 years. These politicians are, you know, not even going to be there anymore. They're just kind of like putting it to the side and hopefully the next one will pick it up. But truly the problem is now. Like if we just keep putting deadlines in 20 years, 30 years, like when we get there, the problem sometimes is probably going to be irreversible, you know? And for football fans, when they actually see that video you're talking about and they see oh, like, my football club is going to be flooded. Like, they're not going to be able to play there. Or I have to, like, canoe to get to the stadium. Like, it's actually, like, it, this is a, it is a big issue. I feel like we always, you know, only care what we have in, in front of us. Probably we don't have, like, these typhoons here in England or, like, the, the, the extreme weather. It's just, like, it just rains too much. But actually, in many other parts of the world, the issue is, like, way bigger. Like, raising sea levels and icebergs melting. Like, there's so much stuff that's going on because it's not really affecting us at the moment we just think like oh don't worry we'll deal with it later but the truth is if you don't deal with it now that when the situation comes it's going to be even way worse but you talk about the here and now right now the world is gripped by a global health pandemic coronavirus Mm. COVID-19 and it makes me think that the need and the priority to protect the economy as a result of this pandemic might see these environmental concerns take a bit of a back seat at this moment in time. Do you fear that we'll lose some of the progress while we're just focusing on saving the global economy? I think definitely we will. And one of the things that you can see nowadays is like the amount of masks and gloves that you can see on the on the sea, for example, you know. Some of these things are just like single use and then they go back into the into the sea or whatever and like, you know, we're we kind of like trying to solve one problem while we're creating another. This is what our governments choose for us, you know. The only thing we can do is vote. So when, um, you know, if um, something like this happens again, that the person that is there is going to deal with it better than the person that is there now. I don't know if you heard it in the, in the last podcast with Morton, but that was like his biggest yeah. advice. The biggest advice is vote, vote, vote. Like you can do so many other things, but actually a lot of these issues, us as like a society, we cannot make them better unless the person at the top is willing to do that too. Yeah, although in the recent interview that Matthew Flamini did with The Guardian, it was pointed out that there is a vacuum between the politicians and the people that could be filled by people of high profile with huge social media followings that do connect with the people en masse. And that's where sports people and and footballers in particular come into it. One thing I wanted to ask you is because you speak so eloquently and you actually do so much work on this, have you ever thought about taking this to politicians and really getting involved on a serious level with policy where you're putting your money where your mouth is with Forest Green Rovers, but actually trying to breach that top level you talk about? One of the most important things for me is that 
every time that you speak about something, you gotta know what you're talking about, you know? Especially today in days of social media, every single guy is a coach. Like I have three million coaches after every game telling me why I've done good and why I've done wrong, you know? And the truth is a lot of those people, they know, they know about football, but they don't really, really know what's going on. So with this is the same. We can all talk about like climate change and like all these things, but actually, if you want to do something like that, you need to have education, you need to have information. And this is what, why Matthew is so good. I have the, the information and education of the stuff that I research and stuff, but this guy has actually done the, the real work and he can take it to politi politicians, same as Morton, um, that he did the same now in Italy. And I, I really want to do that. And I really want to just not plant trees is, is obviously like something amazing and like the help with the fans as well. Like this was amazing. Helping Forest Green, but to, to go and talk to the politicians, I need to have a plan and I need probably people to help me have a plan. So I don't want to do something, just get into the boardroom and say like, we need to be green. Just things that takes time. And this is something that I want to do in the future. I'm someone that with everything that I do in my life, if I do it, I want to do it hundred percent. If I ever go to that boardroom, I want to, I want to come out of that meeting knowing that what I put there, it's going to happen. People have talked about Marcus Rashford's work and, and many people's work, football players, sports people was highlighted during the pandemic. They do an incredible amount. What would you call upon your fellow footballers and athletes to do today? You've already mentioned that some of your teammates in the Arsenal dressing room, like Bakayo Saka are inquisitive. Well, let's send a message to the world now. I feel like we all have a passion of the game. And I'm not talking about, you know, playing an instrument or making clothes or whatever. I'm talking about something deeper than that, you know, about the injustices that of the world that we live nowadays. And I think Marcus is like a clear example of someone that went through that when he was young and he was like, no, I don't want this to happen anymore. I have the platform. I have the money. I want to I wanna make sure that this is not happening anymore. And this is the true key of this matter that we have a voice and we can use that voice in many ways but if you're not truly passionate about something it's very hard to truly connect with the people and you're not going to go the extra mile when it happens because i'm sure before marcus was able to do that he probably had to go through phone calls and meetings and stuff saying people saying like no this is not going to happen you can do this but when you have the passion and the drive inside you go through those phone calls and you call them again and you ask someone else and you do this and you do that. And finally, you find yourself that the government is changing thanks to a proposal that you just made just by using the massive platform that you have and doing it for good. So I think like him is like the clear example of like today, what a football player, an athlete, a celebrity, however you want to call it, can do when you have passion and when you have, you know, the drive to change the world because really you're changing the world because if you're changing one family's life that family is a world you're changing like you're making life better for one two three people that's crazy the fact that he's been able to do that for many millions here across the uk i mean i have so much respect for what he did and i hope you know younger players like you were saying like bukayo when he asked me like why are you doing the tree stuff and it was like such an innocent question in a way but i was like you know what because i'm not only there's this deforestation stuff going on and people over there don't really have much money. So if we can plant trees, we, we're helping two problems at the same time. You know, the people that are there can work and can earn a fair living. And also we're helping the Amazon to re, uh, reforest again, you know? So, and he was like, all right, like, 
how, how can I, um, <laughs> how can I donate? And I was like, okay, I'll send you the website and then you can do it yourself and stuff like this, you know? And sometimes you can see that younger people are kind of seeing that we are not only footballers anymore. We're all people, we're all human. We all have a right to give an opinion. And if that person has a problem, then that person should build the same platform that we have, that we've earned and we've worked so hard for to now be able to push things forward. Big respect for Marcus and I really hope other players and other athletes that they start using their platforms and their passions and turning them into something like that because we all fight different battles, whether that's environment, whether that is like child poverty, wherever, wherever that is, we all need to support each other and uh, that's the way we move forward. You always thank your guests for being trailblazers on your podcast, so I'm going to be selfish and do the same and thank you for being a trailblazer and for your time and for another exclusive and wish you all the best at Forest Green Rovers in particular. Amazing stuff. Uh, much respect for that and also for the, for the season ahead. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I mean, it was a fascinating interview. And as you say, really important. Always really pleases me to hear footballers talk about issues and they shouldn't shy away from that. And sometimes mm. they do shy away from it because of media like us, you know, creating everybody's allowed an opinion. I just think, you know, they have a platform to give their opinions yeah. and it's important. However, a lot of people <laughs> listening to us, whilst have finding that interview fascinating, the Arsenal fans will go, and what's he doing about staying at the club or not? So, Because there has been lots of speculation about his future. There's not much more we can add to the report that we put out on The Athletic recently. There's certainly been interest in Hector Bellerin from a number of clubs. I think Arsenal would like to keep him. And I think internally they've been quite clear about that. But at the same time, we're in a market now where... There are few clubs who can genuinely turn around and say somebody's not for sale if the right offer comes in. And Paris Saint-Germain have expressed interest in him. And if they were to get to the sort of fee that Arsenal would expect for Bellerin, who's got, I think, three years left on his contract, then they might be willing to do business. I think Bellerin himself would probably be open to a new challenge if both parties agreed. It could be something that suits everybody. I don't think it's moved on significantly. I think Arsenal would be looking for a, a substantially higher figure than PSG have been suggesting so far. But inevitably, in these situations, uh, you see compromises reached. I don't think it's it's guaranteed to happen, but I think there is uh, an acceptance on all sides really, that if they can amicably work towards um, sort of mutual understanding, then they will. And if that sort of money comes in, then it could be crucial for Arsenal to help them invest in priority positions. I don't think they would reinvest in that position from what I've heard. They would look to maybe direct that money towards central midfield. We know they've got a long-standing interest in Thomas Partey. We know that Atletico Madrid are indicating that they would only let him go for his release clause which is 50 million euros. He's got very high salary expectations as well. You could say understandably for a, an experienced Champions League player and a high performer who would be a, a real landmark signing for Arsenal. And so we'll have to see what happens. We've got sort of month to go in the transfer window and Arsenal have also held some level of discussions uh, around the Lyon creative midfielder, Hussam Awar. That's going to be a difficult one because of the price. We know he's a player that Mikel Arteta and Arsenal hugely admire. There's a lot still to play out. The future of Matteo Guendouzi, 
potentially uh, a sale for Alexander Lacazette and the sort of money that both of those deals would bring in as well. So loads of moving parts, I think, at Arsenal, like with many clubs at the moment, and, and Bellerin is one of them. David, stop hijacking. <laughs> stop hijacking the pod for all Arsenal. I literally asked you is Hector Bellerin staying or going? And I've had, <laughs> we've gone through every <laughs> Arsenal position virtually and the transfer rumours. So you still managed to take over the pod with, with the whole Arsenal section. Saying I don't know is just not good enough. No one will be happy. I need to explain it in context. <laughs> right, uh, that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with some Arsenal news, I would imagine, and a few other things. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> 